Nelson Mandela said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can change the world. Benjamin Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Here we will focus on the two whys of the company, financial freedom and individual growth. Welcome to the Empower Podcast. On this episode, I'll be interviewing Tyler Bennett. Tyler's group works very closely with us in helping any of our reps get into single family homes. They do everything from start to finish, from finding the the home, helping you buy the home, helping you finance the home, and then actually putting a renter inside the home and managing that for you. So Tyler's the creator of this whole process. We'll go through that whole thing, his background, how he got into real estate, real estate versus stocks, why single family homes, why outside of Utah, and just a little bit more in depth with some different investor knowledge that he has because he's been so successful. He's also a business owner. So I'm excited to get into this episode. So today, guys, I'm so, so excited to have Tyler Bennett on the podcast. This is something I'm super passionate about. Tyler's very passionate about this. And he's an awesome example to me. He invests in his own real estate. And so I'm so excited to, to get into it. Quick background on Tyler is uh, he started it. My understanding is he started in real estate before he did anything, I think. And we'll get, probably get into your first house story maybe. Mm-hmm. But you started in real estate, but you really, that was a side thing. Your business was you got into mortgages, then you started the day spa. And uh, that's, my understanding was before COVID, 135 employees, like it's pretty big business, <coughs> mm-hmm. five to seven million in revenue. Yep. And then you started doing a lot of real estate too with Jimmy Rex and stuff. And so that's just a quick background. We'll probably get into a little bit more. Um, but actually, let's just jump right into that. Did I, was that accurate? Is there anything needed to clarify or was I off on anything? Yeah, no, you're pretty accurate. Um, I got into the real estate industry uh, through mortgages. Okay. And I've always been attracted to the finance side of things, the numbers, the analytics. Yeah, and you're very analytical minded. Correct. Yeah. yeah. The pro and, formas are amazing, yeah. by the way. And, with and I love the pro formas and yeah. I love creating them and, and, and doing the behind the scenes stuff, which is boring for most people, right? And so really early on, I was attracted to the finance analytics. How does money work? How do you get money working for you? And, and so I got into the mortgage side. Okay. And that led a couple of years after that to kind of transitioning over to the deal side of the real estate, um, being on the front end and finding the houses, sourcing the houses, creating the strategy. Why do we buy certain houses in certain markets? And what's the, what's the right strategy? And and I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, you know, I've been in up, down, and sideways markets. I, yeah. I saw I was involved in real estate during the worst real estate crash we'll probably ever see in our lives, and survive through that and really my system that I created on the tail end of that crash um, was based on everything that I learned in that crazy fast up market and then crash market and and kind of the the resulting effects of that so how yeah. do we go do real estate in up down and sideways markets which but, we'll talk <clears throat> about a little bit more in depth when we get into what do you guys do and how yeah. can we all take advantage of that uh, how old were you when you bought your first property? 24. 24. And mm-hmm. had you already started into mortgages at that time? Just started into Just mortgages. Started. Okay. So yep. kind of simultaneously. Yep. My wife was an esthetician uh, at the time. And so we had a, a decent income, especially for, you know, 20 plus years ago. Yeah. Uh, newlyweds. And so we were able to buy 
our first house and and uh, we started the day spa the next year so we've been married for a year and, and Crazy. started the day spa <laughs> and yeah built it up to just over 100 employees so. and and we i don't know if we have time to go through all that but basically it's like your classic basement story right started in the basement grew it into something pretty special yeah it's just like amazon we're just not quite as big <laughs> but yeah. it is yeah it went from one basement to a bigger basement and then you know opened up some retail spots and 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 grew you know bigger on the commercial level but yeah it's a pretty cool homegrown success story and and this was before all the social media and yeah. you know all of that type of advertising totally. so it was all word of mouth based yeah yeah so when you, this is what I always find fascinating is because a lot of people, maybe their parents didn't teach them real estate and they don't know about investing. So did you buy your first house because you were in the real estate industry? Did you have a mentor that helped you do that? Was it your parents? What caused you to buy that mm -hmm. first one? Very good question. So definitely was not my parents. Um, my upbringing was one where we never had stability from a financial level. Uh, my my dad suffered from different illnesses and and depression and different things and so long story short my parents divorced when i was 16 okay. and finances was one of the biggest reasons for the divorce which and, is pretty common yeah, right mm -hmm, it is and that taught and so i was always on my own right to play high school sports i had to go make money to pay for the medical insurance through the high school because we didn't have medical insurance or you know we we were the recipients of the sub for santa's and so that's how i grew up and i think that's why at a young age it really triggered me to figure out i want to be on the other side of this totally like i one i don't it wasn't fun being a kid in an environment where it was always stressful about money right where are we going to get milk where are we going to get bread not like what vacation are we going to go on type of stuff and so I think that really fueled me to figure out, I'm gonna figure out money. And so I just kind of did it on my own, but I did have a couple mentors. Um, at the time, one of my girlfriends in high school, her dad kind of played a good mentor role for me on, on motivating me to figure out the right side of money and really encouraged me to own real estate and that type of stuff. Cool, so, yeah, because yeah. I think everybody gets a bug somewhere or a seed planted, mm -hmm. and then when you get to the right moment, you know that you got to do it, right? Yep. And you did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nelson Mandela, he says, education is the most powerful tool to change the world. And so if you guys are listening to this live right now, if you're listening to it later on the podcast, this is something that I think is so important in your life is educate yourself on the power of money because money doesn't buy happiness, but it can get you freedom. And freedom can bring happiness, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and what you can do with money can can create a lot of happiness totally for others yes yeah that's not necessarily um buying toys right or going on totally. vacations or whatever it is but um you know just in the last 30 days i had two opportunities to help people financially one a devastating car accident to one of our high school uh coaches husbands uh who's a policeman right so you've got a policeman and you've got a teacher so they don't have a ton of extra money right and and he was out of state and all this stuff and i was able to just bend my money over right another one good friend of ours son um had a seizure one day totally random and ended up having two tumors in his brain had to get them removed and this was like two weeks ago and again i was able to boom Help they're out. doing all these fundraisers and they're doing all this stuff to try to raise some money 
and I was able to just contribute. Totally. And it feels really good to be able to do something. That's like that. so cool. I love that. Okay, so Tyler, this would be awesome time to maybe give us an overview of your program, what you guys do, how it works, all that stuff. So um, it it really is kind of the high level summary would be we use real estate as a vehicle to help people create wealth and financial freedom. And to get into a little bit more of the details of it, it really stems all the way back from that real estate crash and coming out of the crash. Because prior to that, I'd done all different types of real estate, fix and flips, new development, land deals, spec houses, um, apartment complexes. And me personally, and a lot of people that I helped uh, lost a lot of money, right, when it crashed. And what I saw that survived was this entry level single family house. So think of your normal three to four bed, two, two and a half bath, two car garage, the really boring type of real estate, yet super predictable. Yeah. And when people were not buying homes and home prices were crashing, people still needed a place to live. And so what we realized is that rents went up and our vacancy rates improved, even though the market was crashing. And eventually the market was really low and then it started recovering. But all during that time, we continued to collect rent and continued to cash flow. And while it wasn't a great time to sell those houses and they may have been worth less than what we paid for them, it wasn't nearly as much as different asset classes inside of real estate. So we built this model based off of that. So we buy these entry level homes that, that attract quality tenants and have predictable rents. And we go and find the best properties throughout the entire country. Just like a stockbroker uh, would build your stock portfolio full of companies or stocks all over the country. You yeah. never want to just buy stock of companies in your own backyard or totally. your own state, right? That was the biggest thing that actually resonated with me when I came across you guys was I had been calling agents all over mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, I, I got something right here and everything was in their own backyard. And then I talked to the guy that's managing my money with my stocks and he doesn't care where they're at. He just is looking, where can you buy low? Where can you sell high? Um, which companies have the strongest financials, which ones, you know, have good product market fit, which ones have a good mode around their business. I mean, he's really going into everything coming back to the analytical side. This is where I think that I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, huge breath of fresh air mm-hmm. and so now i've done a couple properties with you guys i'm in the process of helping my parents do a couple uh-huh. prop- properties yep. with you guys <clears throat> but i love that and so we might have some questions on this i think either coming up now or later but what i'm seeing with a lot of guys in in our in their 20s or people new to real estate but most of our company is made up from people that are either new to real estate or they're in their 20s right mm-hmm. and i think the default is i want to buy in utah so let's talk about that. Why, why out of state? And it doesn't have to be out of state. If you guys found good deals here, you would do them. For sure. Yeah. But most of the deals right now are out of state. Mm-hmm. So why, why there versus here? Yeah. So to kind of go full circle on describing what we do, because I think this helps answer this question, is we not only help people find the houses, because that's what most agents, right? You call some agents, they're like, yeah, here's a great investment property. You buy it, and then that agent's gone. He's not involved in one, making sure you get the right mortgage, making sure you get the right insurance, and definitely not involved in making sure the property management happens. For sure, he's just trying and, to make a commission. Yeah, he makes a commission and he's done. And maybe he's trying to help too, but it's For not sure. as he could have great intentions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But if he's not paying attention to and an expert in all of those areas, he can't add much value anyways. Um, totally. And so what we do is, is we're kind of more of a one-stop shop where we have the mortgage, we have the insurance, and we set up the relationships with the property managers and we manage the property managers because I want to make sure that the property performs at or better than the pro forma. And we pay attention to all that data and information because it helps us buy too. If we're renting houses really fast for above projected rent in one certain area of a market, well, we want to turn up the dial in that market. If in another area of the market, the tenants aren't renewing their 12 month leases at the same rate they are somewhere else, well then maybe we don't want to buy quite as much in that market. And so, right. so we use all that information um, to buy as, as wisely as we can. <clears throat> and so I think that because we have the whole system, that's what makes or enables us to have a nationwide model. Because for most people, if there wasn't a system like this to plug into, I would say don't go buy out of state. Because if you for sure. Google some real estate agent and then you Google some property manager and, and, and you try to set up this power team on your own, um, chances are it's going to fail at some point. Yeah. You either got to be expert. You got to have a lot of time. Like it's hard yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, and you know, we've done thousands and thousands of deals. And so we have all of that behind us. And so every decision we make is based off of right all that experience. And so, so the reason to go outside of the state, um, it's simply, we know exactly what our strategy is. It's these entry level houses, right? The type of tenants we're targeting, the condition, the age, the areas, the crime rates, school ratings, all these different things. And then we simply just analyze 200 plus markets and say for what we're trying to do, what markets are the absolute best? And then we go set up infrastructure in those markets. Um, so it's not so much we chase hot markets, right? If that right. was the case, we'd be buying in Utah. In we'd Utah, be buying yeah. in Boise yeah. or some of these hot markets out West, but the numbers don't work as good. Not yeah. nearly as good. You know, we can get a brand new house for $250,000 that rents for 16, 1700 bucks a month. Here you can get a brand new townhouse for five hundred grand that rents for two thousand a month. Yeah, almost the right? same, but twice yeah. as much. Yeah, and I, so so that's the whole idea is just is picking the best stocks, right? Like identifying the best markets, and then when there's a better market, we transition to it. Until then, we just stay in the markets where we are. Tyler, I think you just answered a question perfectly. <laughs> one of our questions was: I feel like one of the biggest fears of getting into real estate is what if I'm not able to charge what I need to to cash flow? What would you say to those people or how can you have predictable rents that won't turn upside down when it happens to so many people? Yeah. I think that was an almost perfect answer what you just gave. Yeah, I'll elaborate just a little bit to that question is when you buy real estate, what you buy determines who your customer is, right? If you go buy a duplex in Provo mm -hmm. that was built in 1962 that gets $850 a door, you can profile what that customer looks like, right? They're probably not gonna have the credit scores, the background checks, the predictable income, all those different things because they're a certain type of customer. And so one, we target customers that are predictable. And so we, we have this floor where sometimes we could find cheaper houses, we always could, but then that brings us to a different type of customer who is less predictable. For sure, you wanna know who you're renting to. <laughs> yeah, right? so it's all about I, buying the right houses to target the right customer, and then 
And then because we're dealing with the masses, there's more people renting our type of properties. There's more people buying our type of properties than any other asset class in real estate, mm-hmm. that entry level single family home. Um, there's always customers. So in a down market, because what people get scared of is I buy a house, I have a mortgage and it doesn't rent for enough. And then I have to feed it every single month. And there's nothing worse than writing a check every single month. To cover the aggressive um, I've mortgage, been in that right? situation, right? In 2008 for different, for some of my houses. And, and so with this strategy, when the market's soft or the market's going down, it creates more demand for, for our customers, for our rents, because less people are buying. If you think right now, everybody's trying to buy a house, right? Mm. Real estate market is crazy. There's Everybody's no inventory right now. There's no inventory. Yeah. But prices are going up. Rents are going up as well because there's no inventory. But at some point, it's going to level off. Maybe it tailors down a little bit. Less people are buying houses, but that doesn't mean everybody's dying. They yeah. still need a place to live. And so that just means it creates more renters, which is more customers for us. So, I mean, you could get in that situation, but it sounds like you just need to have the right situation. Like, you need to know who you're dealing with, mm-hmm. who your renters are going to be. Make sure you have your target demographic. Yep. There's that quote, like, rent for the masses, something buy for the classes. I don't know if you heard <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yep. kind of what you're going off of. Yeah, exactly. And, and so we're, we're really targeting people that are predictable um, and going to pay us in up, down, and sideways markets. And we can always find somebody that can do that. So there's a couple of things, like you said so much, and just a couple of thoughts come into mind. The first is when I started my first business, I think I tried to be everything to everyone, right? Yeah. Yep. And then I quickly realized, man, it was so awesome to have a dev team and just they all they do is worry about developing the product. And then I have a sales team and they can do that and I don't have to worry about it. Then I have a marketing team. And I think over time, your maturity level in business, you start to realize, I'm going to delegate, I'm going to give things to experts and let them do what they do best. As I look at some friends that I have that are investing in real estate, they try to property manage, they try and do it all. And I'm like, one, there's opportunity costs. You should probably be using that time to grow your business. But two, there's experts that have learned so many lessons, just qualifying a candidate, a renter. Mm -hmm. There's probably like years and years and tens and maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars right there alone, right? Yeah. That you guys have. Yep. So for me, because we, I got a couple of properties, three guys, they all filled. I'll probably never see these properties. They're all being managed, right? Yep. I don't have time to learn that skill set, but I don't want to. Yeah. You're already an expert in it. I'll let you guys property manage it. You're already an expert at finding the deal. You're already an expert at doing the pro formas and saying, here's your cash on cash return. Here's the cap rate. You know, here's the margins compared to everything else. So it's just, I think it's beautiful when you can find experts in certain fields and then let them do their job and get out of the way, right? That's your model, I think. 100%. And, and that's how you scale a business, right? Totally. You got to get out of your own way and, and let those people that are better at certain tasks than you. Yeah. Because that's all they do all day, every day. Just do it, right? For and, sure. And that's the cool thing about this real estate, why I like real estate so much is it it works all the time. Once you start building a portfolio, whether you're out knocking doors or you're on vacation or you're sleeping at night. You're making money. You're making somebody, money. Or they're paying your mortgage or both. Yes. And somebody's paying attention to it for you. Yeah. Right? So you just kind of get to play CEO level. You're still in charge and the ultimate decision maker, but you've got you've got staff that's out there doing all the operational side of it. Right. It's almost like if you're an individual, let's say there's a kid working for us. 
it's almost like he has a company working for him. He has employees, right? Because mm-hmm. people are managing his assets and yep. taking care of it. The other thing that I thought of when you were talking is I, I'm passionate about money and how money can grow for you and all those things. So outside of real estate, when I've talked to a lot of stock experts, and I know this applies in real estate too, but like my neighbor, he, he was on Wall Street for over 25 years, mm-hmm. and he always says, don't time the market. Yeah. That's a fool's game. Like nobody can time the market, so you have to be right twice. A lot of people think they're smart and they can make a good buy. You still have to make a good sell. And so I'm hearing this a lot with questions or calls or texts on, Brandon, where should I buy? And, you know, Utah's going crazy, whatever. I'm like, if you're in it for the long term, it doesn't matter if you buy high or low or mid. It doesn't matter, right? Because what's important is there's a tenant in there. They're paying down your your mortgage. That will appreciate no matter what long term. You can't be worried about the short term. And most successful investors that I know are long-term thinkers, not short-term, right? Yeah, 100%. My strategy is is based off of, I like to say, not timing the market, but time in the market. For sure. And, it's and like fishing. If yes. your pole's not in the water, you're not going to catch a fish, catch. right? There you go. Exactly. It's like every time you take your kids out and they're like, I'm not catching anything. It's like, well, because you keep screwing put around. The thing in the water. Yeah, yeah. Put the thing in the water and just let it sit there. 100%. Yeah, and, and again, if timing the market was so easy... Wall Street would own it. First, but it's hard. Yes. It's hard for yeah, all of us. Yeah, Wall Street is not out day trading and doing forex trading and all this stuff, right? And and it, it's I get that a lot right now too because a lot of people, right? A lot of people that work for you, they've only been adults or or been making money and been paying attention to the market when market's been good. Yeah. Because the market's That's been good for know. a, a I mean, decade almost. We've never seen a recession. Yeah. Right? And our, probably, hit, probably a lot of people were 14 or 12 yeah, when exactly. this happened. So they like financially yeah. don't even probably exactly. know about it. And we crashed so hard in 8, 9, 10 that we've only gone up since. Right. And so anybody that's bought real estate, anybody that's put money in the stock market has made money. And right now there's this, I think, misconception of it's so easy. False confidence almost. Yes. Right? That was me with COVID stocks last year. <laughs> yeah. Like I threw a bunch of money in. You just start picking stuff, and it's right? You killing can't go it. I'm like, damn, I'm a bad A with yeah. this, right? Yeah. And then talking to my neighbor, Wall Street, he's like, bro, anybody that put money in did that. like 400%, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And so I think especially right now, you have to be really careful with that mindset. Um, and then a lot of people say, well, it's so high, I don't want to buy at the peak. Totally. Right? And that doesn't matter long term. It does not matter long term because whenever you're looking back over a long enough period of time, real estate always goes up. Yeah. Right? The market always goes up. And there's there's hiccups where it's going to go up and down and flat. Um, but being in the market is so much better than keeping your money you know, under your mattress waiting for the right time because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly. And it seems like when you're new or it's your first time, that's the natural feeling. Mm -hmm. It's like, is this, should I wait six months? Should I wait a year? It's like, just get in the game. Yeah. Right. Yep. hundred percent. I think that's a good break for a question if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I think what you guys are talking about is awesome. I think all of our guys, they're stoked to jump into it. They want to, they're not scared. I mean, they want to do it. They just don't know how. And one of the questions we got is what do you recommend when you need to build your credit prior to investing for properties? Like, what do you need to do for your credit? What should you be doing right now? If you want to buy a property in a year, what do you need to have in place? Yep. Very good question. Um, fortunately, for, for a lot of the people that work for you guys, they have the income, but they don't have the credit history or yeah. the job history in order to buy, right. which, which is such a good problem to have, <laughs> right? When, when I was in my early 20s, mid 20s, I didn't have the income. 
I had great credit and I had good job history, <laughs> yeah. but my W two wasn't the big opposite enough, of right? Guy, I didn't right? have enough money to buy. So, so, so you're making really good income, um, and it, it, to a certain extent, you just have to be patient because at the end of the day, you have to have those two years of self employment. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're set up as a sole proprietor or if you're set up and you run it through an LLC or an S Corp or, or any of that. And our team can help strategize or, or, or help structure that the right way, ideal for lending. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you've got to have those two years history. Um, and then you've got to have some sort of credit. So what I like to tell people, um, and you have to be careful, know yourself, but the easiest thing to do is go get a credit card and with a low limit and put gas and groceries on it money you're going to spend anyways and pay it off every single month right that's actually what i did like the second i got home from my mission it's 21 and i just got a credit card and i only did gas groceries whatever and it was just for the sole purpose to start building yep. up that credit paid it off every every month in full exactly what i did i bought a little car uh, i was exactly the same bought a little car for like four thousand dollars my mom co-signed and then i refinanced her off a year later when i could get my own Right, but but you have to use credit in order to build credit. Yeah, um, it, it's unfortunate. Even when you're killing it, you still do. I mean, yeah. I know that there's people probably listening, whether it's now or later, that we've gone to set up a homeowner. They're crazy wealthy, paid cash for everything, no debt, but they they fail credit. Yeah, and it's like how backward is that, mm-hmm. right? So even now, like with cars, I'll pay most of them off, but I'll keep fifteen hundred dollars on there. Or something low just so I have a payment to yeah. maintain credit because I've seen that firsthand. Yep. And obviously, as you build your portfolio, you get mortgages, you start paying them down. There's nothing better to build credit than mortgage debt because yeah. they view that as positive debt as opposed to credit cards or cars For or more sure. consumer debt. Yeah. They're different asset. kind of loans, right? Installment yeah. loans and yep. different things. Um, but uh, the other thing that I just want to throw out while we're talking about this is you are going to have to pay some taxes. <laughs> You know, if if you bring in a hundred grand and you somehow figure out how to expense a hundred grand and your taxable income is zero, it's great from a tax planning standpoint, but it doesn't benefit you from a lending standpoint. And so I've been self-employed pretty much my entire career and real estate has always been part of my wealth building strategy to build my own portfolio. So every single year when I do my tax planning, I get as aggressive as I possibly can until I get start to get to the point of, is this going to jeopardize my ability to continue to borrow? Yeah. Because the money I save in taxes will cost me so much if I'm not able to borrow and totally. build my real estate portfolio. And, and so that's – our team spends a lot of time helping people with their tax planning or saying, send us your taxes before you actually file them. Let's make sure that yeah. we'll have an underwriter look at it really quick. So and key. Yeah. And so, so it's just it's just part of the game. You've got yeah. to pay some taxes in order to really be able to leverage and create and build wealth. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up because I didn't have this on the agenda of topics to cover, but this is so key if somebody's going to be investing. So yeah. quick example, maybe there's a, a rep out there with us. He's going to make $150,000 this year. And this is an industry where it's very tax strategy aggressive, right? <laughs> yes. So that's let's, the politically correct way to put that. <laughs> let, let's say that this rep, you know, just goes crazy and shows twenty grand of income. What Tyler is saying is, you're going to have a really hard time getting a loan, and maybe you killed it. Like I get it, you killed it with your write-offs, whatever. But that doesn't set you up. So if you know you're going to be buying a property later that year or the next year, 
you need to be working with Tyler's team or whoever's specifically the mortgage company yep. and saying, what do I need to show for income to qualify for this yep. property or these multiple properties? 100%, right? You go buy a new Raptor for 80 grand. It's an awesome write-off. Yeah. Um, it's counting against you. Yeah. But it's, um, you, you can pick the depreciation schedule. You could have depreciated over five years instead of taking it all one year. And again, it comes to the tax planning um, to be able to borrow. And what, what's really sad is when people come to us, they've been in it for two years, they think they're ready to go. Well, year one, they were way too aggressive. Year two was more in line, but we have to average those two years and they're still not quite there. And it's like, oh man, if I would have paid 2000 more in taxes, I could have bought a house this year. Now right. I have to wait another year. And what's the cost of that? Exactly. Like you saved a little bit, but what's yep. your opportunity cost, right? Yep. Something I want to throw in there is the good news is though, you can go back and change your taxes, right? You, you can. can reprimand them and change them and mm-hmm. tweak them. So guys, if you're on the call listening, you're like, shoot, I did that. That was yeah. me. Because a lot of our reps probably are like that. Mm-hmm. They can still save themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you can go and Takes amend time them. time and money. The IRS and loves it when and, you amend them to go up. Yeah, for pay. sure. They'll take it. They'll <laughs> take the extra money. <laughs> totally. The other question I got is once you have your credit up and you're actually in the right direction, you're ready to buy a house, a lot of reps want to know what's the pros and cons of a big down payment versus small down payment, a 15-year term versus 30-year term, things mm-hmm. like that. Okay. that question about four or five times so far. And let's say that that's, because I don't know if they clarified, but from an investor, like mm-hmm. if they're doing one of these investment properties yeah. versus like your personal home. Okay. So one, let's just talk about leverage really fast because that's what is one of the most powerful tools and why real estate versus stocks, for example. Um, because with $75,000, you can go buy a $250,000 investment property. With $75,000, you can buy $75,000 of Apple stock. Yeah. Right? Massive, massive difference. And if they each go up 10%, it's 7500 versus 25000 You're talking about hundreds of percentages of differences by having leverage. Because you're getting 10% on the whole house, not just the 75000 Because you're controlling right? the entire asset. Yeah. And then you give that 20, 30 years, and we're not talking 10% anymore. We could be talking oh. about 700% or whatever. Yes, the compounding effect is massive. massive. So um, so with that said, uh, the smaller the down payment, the better because you can utilize more leverage. However, we always want to make sure we're in a in a positive cash flow situation. Mm-hmm. So where a lot of people went wrong pre-market crash was they did 90%, 100% investment loans. And, and so the payments were higher and they didn't have any wiggle room on the cash flow. So right mm-hmm. now in the industry, you cannot buy an investment property without at least 20% down. We typically recommend 20 or 25% down. And that's with you, with you guys, rate. anybody. That's anybody. Who that's Fannie, Freddie. Yeah. Yep, just mortgage guys. If lines. you're not living in it, that's just kind yep. of the standard. If it's your own house, you can do 5%, 10%, yep. but uh-huh. investment property is 20% or 20%. Plus. Yep. So, 20% real quick, more. I just want to interject there. If you guys are planning on buying a couple homes this year, then just keep that in mind. Like, you know, if a home's 250, 300 grand, do 20% of that. If your goal is to buy three, then that's kind of what you're going to need cash on, yep. you know, available for you. Yeah. About 60 to 80 grand is kind of the sweet spot per house. Per home. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then 15 year versus 30 year. So that to me is a question of who do I want to have more risk? Do I want, do I want more risk or do I want the banker to have more risk? And, and what I mean by that is if you do a 30 year mortgage, your mortgage is lower. You have the cash flow. Um, you're still paying down the principal, but you have the, let's call it $300 a month that goes into your checking account every month that you get to decide what to do with. 
if you do a 15-year mortgage, you don't really have any cash flow, but you're paying down the mortgage way faster, mm -hmm. which yeah. is great. But you don't have that money. You have to make that payment no matter what. So if a tenant renew, doesn't renew and you have a couple months vacancies or whatever it is, you still have to make that higher payment no matter what. Doesn't matter if people are in there or not. Doesn't matter. And so I'd rather be in the position where I have a lower payment, I get the extra money, and I get to decide what to do with it. I could decide to take the $300, apply it towards the principal, and the reality is, is if you take the cash flow from each house and you make basically what the equivalent of the 15-year mortgage would be, you pay it off in 14 years, 10 months. Yeah. So wow. you can leave the 30-year the term and basically just apply it and pay it off in the same amount of time. You save the money on the interest. Is this a fair assessment? I don't really know anybody that does a 15-year loan because you limit your options. Everybody I know always takes the max length because they can always have the freedom to pay it off in 15 years. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why you're, limit your yourself if you don't have to? do the 15 years. Old, and it's a mindset thing. Totally. Right? They, they came kind of out of depression. They were trained by their parents. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Very rarely do we ever see a 15 year. And so somebody like in maybe in our job where maybe they do this for four to six years, they're making a lot more money than they probably would in the salary nine to five. Yeah. They have that flexibility to take chunks of cash and pay down principal or pay off stuff. Mm -hmm. But... For me, I, I don't want to get in a situation where what if the economy drops? What if I lose my job? And now I'm stuck with the high, again, back to risk, right? Yeah. And, and you have a bunch of equity in these houses because you chunked them down. But uh, what if interest rates are 8% and you don't want to go access it and it's not a great time to sell them, right? Totally. So it's all about maintaining control. Yeah. Um, and that kind of leads me to, to circle back to like the strategy side of this is – we acquire this, right, for five, ten years while we're making money and, and your guys are, are making a lot more money than the majority of the other people. They have much more discretionary income available to build these portfolios. And so the faster that they can get their money working for them, the more time in the market, the more powerful. But it's not just let's just go buy a real estate forever. My whole system is based off of let's buy real estate for five to ten years, put it on cruise control. And then at some point, the goal is to own it all free and clear. For sure. Right now with my portfolio of about 20 houses, I'm taking all the cash flow every month and I'm paying them off. Because my goal is I'm 41 right now. When I'm 45, 47, I want to own them all free and clear. Now all of a sudden I've got 35 grand a month coming in and it gives me permission to decide how I'm going to spend my my time day to day. It can it's replace your my income. It's your financial freedom, yes. really. And, and that's my goal for everybody is to get to that point. So the more we can accumulate right now, the more options we have in that 10 to 20 years of, okay, we bought 10 houses. Do we sell four of them and pay off six? And now I own six free and clear and I've got 10 grand a month of income coming in. Yeah. Or do I want to have 10 and it's going to take me a little bit longer to pay them off. But the end goal is to own them free and clear and have that residual income flow into our personal economy. And that model works so hand in hand with what we're trying to accomplish. I think a lot of people are looking at this company or this job is let's come in, let's work really hard for four to six years, which in your model, it's, hey, that's when you're acquiring real estate, mm -hmm. but you don't need that same income after four or five years, right? If you no. can go acquire a bunch of properties, make a good amount of money, 
then they could go work at Walmart or wherever. Mm-hmm. Why that's just building, right? And that's a different phase, and that's how you kind of set 100%. yours up. Hundred percent. Yeah. If they can buy a couple houses a year, right, for five years and get to ten houses, and then you fast forward another ten years, it's so powerful. Yeah, then they're in a great spot, yep. and that's what I didn't have, and that's what I'm trying to help these guys create. Is man, being 24 and being able to do this for four or five years yeah. changes everything. Well, and and. I bought my first house. It took me two years to buy my next house, two years to buy my next house. And then I started buying them faster as I made more money. But Yeah, because Amara the, was starting to grow yeah, and stuff. But the opportunity that, that, that you guys have is crazy because you make so much more income. I love you that you can keep bringing that up. up. I think it's so interesting. Sometimes for our guys, they're out there in Florida, they're out there in California. They're, they're around people. They're making the same amount of money as they are. So they forget that, oh, the rest of the world doesn't do this. Yeah. Like other 25-year-olds in Utah don't make 200 grand a year. Well, let me tell you what my average client looks like. Yeah, that, that'd be helpful. That'd be cool to hear. 40 to 55 years old, 9 to 5, salary guy, corporate person, making one hundred and twenty-five dollars to $200,000 a year, have a normal house with a bunch of equity in it mm-hmm. typically they own their cars he's got three to five hundred grand in a 401k or ira like my parents so right there. they've done everything right the reality is they're top five eight percent in the entire country right yet they're in complete panic mode because they're projecting out the next 10 15 years they want to retire when they're 60 65 and they just they're not gonna have enough yeah they're going to have $750,000 in their retirement account and a bunch of equity in, in a house. Yeah. But that's that's not enough to give them a $80,000 a year lifestyle through retirement. Um, and heaven forbid they have big medical issues, right? All these different things. And so it's like, oh, crap, what do we do? Well, let's, let's restructure and plug into real estate because what people want is income. Mm-hmm. If you build this big bucket – the bucket's got to be really, really big in a stock market or that type of portfolio to annuitize it to give you enough income forever without depleting the bucket. You know, most people just aren't going to get there. Mm-hmm. You're talking about five, ten plus million, million. dollars to yeah. give you enough to sustain. That's good. That's right? That same five million could get you twenty-five million of real estate. Yes. Yeah. As you build, and then you could pay it all off, and that five million dollars worth of free and clear real estate could get you $50,000 a month in residual income without depleting the $5 million. And in fact, it continues to go up because mm-hmm. it's an appreciating asset. And so that's the power behind behind all of this is is getting to that point. <laughs> yeah. And so because you brought this up like stock versus real estate, mm-hmm. the kind of the key takeaways that I have and why I think real estate's better is we talked about leverage already. 75 grand versus 75 grand you can leverage 250 or 300 grand with that 75 grand in real estate versus just 75 grand in stocks. So leverage is probably one of your biggest things. You also get depreciation. Mm -hmm. Then that's coming off of your income with real estate. You don't have that in stocks. You'll both get appreciation in both. And so when you really narrow it down, like that's probably the only common thing you have between both of those, right? Is they're gonna appreciate, but you're missing out on paying down principal. You're missing out on leverage. You're missing out on depreciation. You're missing out on monthly cash flow. So there's all these things that it just blows it out of the water. Yeah. And the tangible asset. And it's a tangible. It, yeah, it's you really can there. See it. It's not going to go to zero. Your stock portfolio could go to zero. Could, could go out of business. Every yes. business could go out of business. Yeah, right? talking back to the crash because you and I have been through that. Mm-hmm. You still have a house. Yeah, you still and have a house. And it still it still has a renter in it. Mm-hmm. 
So, and I'm there. I think I'm with you on the same page. The only thing that scares me is going through this last COVID thing. And then the government's like, for all renters, yeah. you know, it's paid and landlords kind of got screwed. That's the only thing that scares me. That actually was one of our questions too. And they mm-hmm. said, how did COVID affect rents? Yeah. So COVID obviously was completely unpredictable. We'll probably it's never seen anything swan. like it. Yeah. Um, so the good news about our client's portfolio, so we've done over 6,500 houses. So there's, there's a lot of houses in management, right? And less than 4% of our portfolio was impacted from COVID. Wow. Uh, which is good. Yeah. And we basically had two scenarios. Um, one, people were legitimately impacted. They lost their jobs. They worked at Disney World or whatever, right? Yeah. They, they legitimately they really lost their jobs. Um, but they're responsible human beings. They went, they figured out the whole unemployment thing. They, they figured out the rental assistance things. And our property managers jumped in and helped them apply for the rental assistance and all that type of stuff. Uh, worst case, in that scenario, we went two to three months with no rent payment. And then we got made whole through all the rental assistance and all the bailout money. And, and we, long term, it didn't look like we missed a beat, right, on a long-term financial profit and loss. Yeah. Um, there were some scenarios where people worked the system. And didn't fill out the rental assistance stuff and all that type of stuff. You couldn't evict them. And so we have a few bad stories out there, right? Um, But what what makes it really good in the end is this whole COVID thing accelerated the appreciation. Totally did. So so nobody's losing money in this. It's, okay, I didn't get rent for nine months because I had this this stupid tenant that worked the system and all these things. But my house just went up thirty thousand dollars in nine months, no and I wasn't mad. anticipating it was going to go up that fast. So, yeah. so that you know, that 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 really helps. But, um, yeah, something like COVID is just completely unpredictable. But again, our real estate class, I feel like survived as good as anything out there. I mean, you look at commercial, retail, office, oh, yeah. got hammered, absolutely hammered. Yeah, and and there wasn't as as much bailout money or readily available mm-hmm. like like. They protect renters, right? They protect tenants because that's the majority of the people out there and they want those people to have a place to live. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things that drew me to you guys is, like you said at the beginning of this, is you've you've tried and done so many different aspects of real estate and there's mm-hmm. so much out there, right? But I think one thing that's going to give you your best shot long term is affordable housing. Affordable yeah. housing, everybody needs it through ups, downs, sideways, whatever type of markets, mm-hmm. right? But you look at you know, high-end markets like Vegas, Phoenix, different things. We saw those get hit very heavily in the crash. You go to COVID, retail, commercial, Mm -hmm. those got hit pretty heavily. So I think it's your best option long-term. The other thing that I really like about you, Tyler, is you've done, I think, what we're all trying to do, right? You have 19 or 20 Mm -hmm. properties. You're so close to having all those paid Mm -hmm. off. And like the peace of mind and how cool is that to know that like, Hey, I got 35 grand coming in a month from these 19, 20 properties. I can go do whatever I want. Yeah. I travel full time. Your girl, I think you said she was in softball or something mm-hmm. last time you came. Yep. You can be coaching, which I think you're coaching. Yep. I mean, it's just so, so cool. Um, one thing about that, though, is that draws people in almost too much where they're like, okay, I want to go to real estate full time. But you've had your business this whole time and you still have it, Amara. Yep. So talk to us about. Why have you kept that? Because our, in our case, that'd be selling, knocking doors, right? That's our vehicle to make the money to do mm-hmm. this. Where I think a lot of guys are like, I just want to go do it. And I think 
making money to do this is a totally different skill set than having your money make money for you. So why have you kept Amar instead of just jumping into real estate full-time? Why do I keep 130, 18 to 35-year-old female (laughs) employees? It's not easy, that's for sure. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, So a couple things. One, when when I committed to building my real estate portfolio, and then eventually that led to helping other people build real estate portfolios, right? Because um, really I would say I have two jobs, helping people build real estate portfolios in Amara. Sure. And then I have my own portfolio that's building. So way back in my 20s, I said, I'm going to build my own real estate portfolio. That's going to be its own business. And I'm not going to take a penny out of it ever. I've never taken one penny out of it. So all the cash flow has recycled and stayed inside of that business. Whenever I've sold a property, I've done a 1031 exchange and bought more properties. Gone to the next, yeah. And I really made that commitment because I never wanted to get to a point where it's like, ah, I got enough cash flow coming in. I don't need to do this because then I wouldn't have continued to build it. And that's the only way I think you should do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because you because the more money you can put into it, so you recycle the money, the cash flow that's coming in, you sell, you buy, you build it bigger, and then you add money to it to accelerate that growth and buy faster, um, that's how you're going to get it bigger and then have more options ultimately when you get to the end. And, um, and it's unpredictable from the standpoint of you never know when the right time to sell is going to be, right? Like timing the market again. Yeah. I'd never want to be in a position where I'm in a situation where I need capital or I need income. And I'm pressured to sell when the timing isn't right. I want to sell when it's absolutely the right time to sell. And I have a really good plan for what I'm going to do with those proceeds. And so by having the other income, the other jobs, that gives me permission to manage that, I think, better and more strategically. um, and, And then grow it faster. So you're telling me that these guys that have one sick year selling shouldn't quit and go to real estate full time. No, no, don't <laughs> do it. That's not what you're saying. Don't do it. And just the opportunity that you have to build year over year because the 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 skill set that you create right after one successful year, imagine what that can do year two, what that can do year three, and, and the opportunity that you have. Again, my average clients are making three to 5% raises a year their mm-hmm. salary guys like that's the majority of everybody else out there yeah literally you have the opportunity for 50 100 percent plus raises year over year um and the work is hard right it's grind um and there's a reason why you get paid well if you're good at it mm-hmm. because a lot of people are not willing to do it but if you can just 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 strap in and and do it for that five plus years, it'll change the rest of your life. So if you were talking to these guys, which you are, you would say, okay, look, if you're my son or my brother, you're 22 years old, it's your first year in sales, you hope to make 100 grand this year, next year you'll make probably 200. After your second year, you can have actually enough taxable income to get properties, Mm -hmm. right? You have two 1099s, go through, whatever it is. Then you would buy three or four that next year right when you can, right? And just keep on doing the same sales job, trying to build more wealth to buy more properties. 100%. And the other thing I would just say is, is if you really study, and Brandon alluded to it earlier, like educate yourself on how money works, that should tailor your decision-making process. 
Because if you've got to wait two years to go buy a house and you just see your checking or savings account start to accumulate, it's hard not to get sloppy. For sure. Spend and money. just spend the money, buy toys, do all this stuff. So there's this there's this healthy place where you need to feel like you're you're rewarding yourself for your hard work, for your success, but you're leaving the majority of it available to create wealth for you. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and because if you don't, then you're gonna be knocking doors for twenty years. Because if you just spend everything, uh, you're just trying to keep up with this crazy lifestyle where it's get your money working for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so be smart with your money. Um, you know, pay attention to it, see where it's going, where it's leaking out. And if you have a plan, I think it makes it so much better. If you know, okay, in 19 months, I'm going to be able to qualify for a mortgage. I'm trying to save $150,000 to allocate towards that for two houses or whatever the case is. If you have that plan, you're much more likely to, to be successful versus just, uh, yeah, I can't buy a house right now. So in a couple of years, I'll buy one. Well, I'll spend my money. You're not going to have that 150 grand. It'll right be gone. Right. Tyler's awesome at this because, it, and it's hard when you're in your 20s because you want to flex, you want to show money. Like, I get it. I was mm-hmm. 22, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as time's gone on and I look at a lot of my successful friends, you would never know that they're really wealthy or really successful. In fact, Jake was over at our house the other day and, and I'm like, that guy is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And, and I was shocked. And Jake had like, you, he was just totally shocked. Like yeah. you never know, right? I, I think real wealth, um, when people actually have real wealth, and I think that's defined by that residual income, right? Like I don't have to keep going that's to work. true wealth. And I could sustain my lifestyle. Um, they operate very differently they because they don't feel like they have to have that flex. You don't. That yeah. off. And right. really, like anybody can go have a good year or yeah. two, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I was reading this article the other day, and it said the car that the most millionaires in the U.S. have is the F one fifty. Yeah, Tyler today rolled up an F one fifty. So here's a dude right here <laughs> on this podcast. His business is doing five to seven million in re- real estate. He's got twenty properties, probably you know, 30 grand coming in residual. I don't know. And he didn't pull up in a Lambo, didn't pull up in a Range Rover, didn't pull up in anything crazy, normal F-150. I think that's so freaking sick. I love that. Um, Yeah, I have one good example. I have an uncle uh, who's a a multi-multi-millionaire. He's just, my mom's sister married into the right family, so it's the wrong side of the family for me to benefit. but uh, his his dad competed with like Huntsman for richest guy in Utah for years wow. and years. And years. Like just stupid money. Yeah. And he like he's been wearing fanny packs back when they were in style, then they were out of style, <laughs> now they're back in. Like the whole time he's been rocking the for fanny 30 packs. Thirty straight years. And all of his clothes are Walmart. Always. Jeez. So he's and, in style, like uh, killing it right now, right? The fanny yeah. pack, the Walmart. He's the guy that you see out and about and you'd never even know. You know, and then he's got like a, you know, I don't even know, 15,000 acre ranch with buffalo. You know, he's got like really cool stuff. That's what he likes, right? But if you came across him day to day, you'd have no clue. He's just a normal dude. That's cool. I respect that a lot, man. I respect that. Uh, Jake, let's do a couple questions and then we'll close it up. I think we've hit most of them and I want to let everybody know on the call, send questions in now. We have some time to answer them. But the ones we've already hit, I just want to make sure we have the right answers to so you pretty much said, how do you build your credit? How do you start this whole process? I'm a first year rep. I'm just starting to make money. I got a couple years ago. It's get a credit card, get a really simple car loan, 
pay them off, don't go crazy, build some credit, save your money, Yep. maybe invest it in the meantime while you're waiting, then wait for two years of tax returns, then you can go buy some properties, 100%. right? Yep. And when it comes to a down payment for those properties, you would always suggest as little as you can to be cash flowing still though, right? Correct. So at least 20% on an invested property, because mm -hmm. you have to, but don't go crazy throwing 30 and 40% at it, you might as well buy two. Correct. All right, to yep. leverage that, right? Yep. When you're in build mode. For sure. Absolutely, that's what makes sense. And we mm -hmm. talked about 15 year and 30 year mortgages, you would always suggest a 30 year, so you have the flexibility to do what you want to do. Correct. So you can make any de any decisions, any payments, you can mm -hmm. double pay, not double pay, the ball's in your court with that, right? Yep. So I think that was the main question that everybody asks is, hey, for me right now, how do I get started? And what do I do? And what should I do with my first property and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. And I think we've covered them all. So maybe we, maybe to just add to that just a little bit, like if someone's interested, what do they do? What yeah, are the next where do we go steps? from here? Where do I go um, from here? Yeah. We were talking earlier. So really one of the first steps I like is to get in touch with the mortgage team, the lending team. So they can, they can look at your profile as a borrower and, and then we can start to set a plan from there. Either you can qualify for today or you can't. If you can't, then what do we need to do? What does that look like? What's the time frame? And what are the steps? If you can, then it's, okay, now let's start creating a strategy. You know, maybe we don't have enough savings or allocated yet, but let's create a strategy to get there and, and you can get timeline qualified, or right? whatever the case is. Um, but that's really a good, you know, next step because everybody everybody's starting point is different. Um, everybody's goals, their risk tolerance, their time frame, all those things, it's all customized, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, okay, let's get to know you and then let's build and show you based on you and what you've got going on, what you project to make, all those different things, what allocating some of your resources towards real estate could look like. And your team walks them through all this, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, your team start to finish, guys. If you guys are wondering about this, you literally call the Tyler Bennett Group, which mm -hmm. are partners with us now. Yep. We've got some cool incentives with you guys. Yep. But you, they call you, they say, hey, we can talk to the mortgage lending people. That's who you set them to first. Yes. They go through that process, get qualified. <laughs> then it's like, all right, you can do it. What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Almost. Yeah, and then we show you. And we have a, um, a dedicated account rep, uh, staff member Just for that's us, worked right? with me for over 10 years, helped people buy thousands of houses, and, and he's dedicated just to your guys' account. And there's some other awesome in incentives that Brandon's put together yeah. to make it even easier for you guys to to buy and some perks that you get from the mortgage guys. And so, yeah, there, there's the, the process for, for anybody in your groups easier and, and cheaper for anybody else out there. So usually they need about 60 to 80 grand, yeah. right? Like you said, mm -hmm. and that'll get them in the door with their down payment, the fees, whatever it is, yep. get them qualified, make sure they have the house and they can usually expect a cash flow three to 500 bucks on that. I or would say two to 400 two to is 400. a better range okay. uh -huh, right now. Um, and then you're paying down about that same amount in principle. So it's a win-win, right? Right. So it's, it's, it's really, you're making five to $800 a month. Half of it's deferred mm -hmm. because you're paying down the principal. The rest of it you get today. And then you have the depreciation, you know, benefits. Um, Brandon, one thing maybe to, to bring up, uh, like what, what do we really look for or what are some of the key, you know, what are we looking for an ROI or a cap rate or whatever? Yeah. The big emphasis for us is that cash flow. So it's the cash on cash ROI. So it's what's what are the expenses? What's the rent? What does it look like end of the day? And how does that correlate to the amount of money that we use to, to invest in that property? Mm -hmm. And what does that number look like? You get like? an 8% back a year, 10%, mm -hmm. whatever it is, the cash exactly. return. Yep. And, and between all those three, the, the 
principal pay down, the depreciation, and the actual cash flow, we're looking for a 10 to 15% ROI for our clients operationally. Nice. And then when you sell it, the values go up, there's your upside. You're you know? you can make 30% plus overall on your money. Yeah. And it's very, very realistic, but um, it's really based off of, of the operation side. So uh, I was going to provide Anthony's phone number too. Yeah. That's probably mm-hmm. the best one. I know he's been helping us out a lot. So if you're listening to this live or later, his cell phone number is 801-550-4910. Anthony Andelin, he's incredible. Like Tyler said, he's worked with him for a long time. He knows this stuff just about as good as you. Yeah, yeah. He's a sharp cat, and he, I know uh, he's helped me. So that's his contact information. Uh, is there any other questions to go over, Jake? Yeah, or? I think we've got about three minutes left. And okay. here's the other questions we have. Um, we, they want to know, what are the incentives from our company? What are we doing with the Tyre Bennett Group? How are we correlated? How are we partnering? Stuff like that. Yeah. They also want to know, I'll just read them to you guys and can yeah. answer them together. They also want to know, is there any state that is better than others mm-hmm. and why? which I know you know the answer to that one. Um, and then this is kind of a funny last question we can maybe end on. I know this isn't your area of expertise, but I think these guys really look up to you being a multimillionaire, being successful. They want to be you. I want to be you, right? And this question from Corbin Smith says, how important is college and how important is that college degree to you? And what would you suggest about continuing education <laughs> while trying to build your real estate portfolio? So I know that's out of your realm, but I'd love to hear your mm-hmm. opinion there. And then we've got one more this one, they want to know what your Instagram is. So that's that's the last one. We'll go through all those. I'll tell you, my last Instagram post was like five years ago. So it's probably I'm, not worth I'm the follow. I'm one of those dudes that doesn't do anything on social media. Yeah. If you ask you me what I watch, watch on Netflix, like, I don't even know. I don't want... I, I just don't do any of that. I just analyze real estate. Uh-huh. You stay busy. <laughs> money. I get it. I'm the same way. I yeah. never posted on Instagram. I don't yeah. care about it. Uh, TV. We don't even have TV, uh, any of that stuff. Yeah. Let's maybe to close it at a good time, Tyler, let's maybe have you tackle that uh, college question. Uh-huh. And then I can send out a one pager on the benefits. And okay. what was that other, oh, the other first state. one? What state? So maybe do the state and college okay. and then I can address the other stuff. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So as far as what state, um, the main states we're in right now are Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, Arkansas. But um, really, it's not so much what state, it's markets inside of states, but it all comes down to the analysis of, of how much is the median or average home, pr- home price, what does it rent for, and do those numbers work? And if they do, then it's really diving into all of the nitty-gritty unemployment, job creation, affordability factors, all these different criteria to determine which ones are the best of the best. And you guys have like a book full of criteria. I mean, I've seen it yeah. before. So guys, yeah. don't think it's just like a one-off pointing on a map somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like you guys know what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, and, and again, it's easy to determine from the standpoint of we know exactly what our strategy is. Mm-hmm. And so it's just where does that work best? It's not let's find a good market and then go figure out what strategy hopefully is going to work in that type of market. Um, College education. I really appreciate that question. Um, I'm probably a little bit more old school than a lot of people. Um, I'm a big advocate of education, but I'm not a huge advocate of you've got to go get a degree for the sake of getting a degree. Um, Educate yourself to create a skill set that you can apply uh, to generate income. Right. So if you're going to be a CPA or an attorney or whatever, yeah, you have to go that route. If you're going to be a medical doctor, you have to go get a degree 
and what you learn is going to be very, very applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're going to BYU and you're getting the marriage and child development, whatever <laughs> thing to say you have a yeah. degree and there's really no application for it, you're probably wasting your time, you know? So, so I'm a huge fan of education. Like Brandon, I read a ton of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I just want to consume, consume, consume and figure out how do I make myself more valuable, right? How do I go out and create more value in the marketplace? And so whatever education that is, that could be a degree or it could be a specific trade school or, you know, if you want to be a mechanic, don't go get a four-year degree in English and then go to mechanic school. Like just go do a one, two-year crash course, whatever, how it works, some tech school and figure out how to be a mechanic and get to work, right? So that's kind of my view on that. Let me ask a little follow-up question on that. I think for a lot of our guys, they do want to be doctors. They do want to be like be these professionals later in life, Mm -hmm. but they're wondering, should they take a two or three year pause on school because they're making so much money now? Because they're saying, hey, should we fill up our wheelbarrows full of money now and go dump it off and then go to college and work for us? Or should we go to college now? Let, Let me tell you what I'm extremely jealous of. The way that I got through college, I delivered pizzas for Papa John's. And I worked 35, 40 hours a week, uh-huh. almost every weeknight, for sure every Friday and Saturday night. And I was pumped to make 15 bucks an hour because it was awesome back then. Yeah. The summer sales, like all that stuff didn't really exist. You kind of missed that. If I had the opportunity to go and work summers and make enough money to pay for my entire year's education, right, and living costs... Um, that would have been awesome. It, to put that on steroids, if I could have hit pause, I mean, people go on missions, yeah, right? If same you're idea. LDS, you put life on hold for two years, it doesn't, doesn't kill you. you in the long run, yeah. right? If, if you have the opportunity to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for a two, three, four, five year period of time, that can have such a powerful impact on the rest of your life. Yeah. Right? And, and I think going through that will give you more clarity on what you want the rest to look like too. Totally. I always tell these guys, so true. the piece of paper doesn't matter when they give it to you. Like yeah. it's awesome to have. You do learn a lot in school. I mean, I went, I believe in education as well. But if you get that piece of paper at 30 or 35 or 25 or 20, it's all the same once you have it. Yeah. But it's hard to make three, 400 grand a year at 25. Yeah. So yeah. And, hopefully and, I answered the question. And here's the deal. I have a lot of doctor dentist clients the overwhelming majority of them don't make the amount of money that i think people perceive they make yeah and the majority of them are terrible business owners and money managers absolutely and that's why they end up with me saying oh crap like you know i did all these investments or this or that or um now i'm 55 don't know what to do yeah and so what you learn by being your own business owner and the skill sets that you learn in this type of industry are invaluable and will be able to apply to whatever you do there you go. There's all our questions. Yeah. Okay. Tyler, thanks so much. I love learning from you, man. Uh, awesome takeaways today. So appreciate your time. Uh, I'm going to close on a quote. This just rang true to me with some of the stuff Tyler was talking about. This is Benjamin Franklin. He said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And so I totally believe that. If you're making good money right now, to your point, Tyler, like you can stack up that cash to where you can go and buy mode and build mode, right? Mm-hmm. But what you also can do right now is why you're waiting to get approved or get your mortgage situation in place for another year or two, you can educate yourself and you can learn as much as you can on real estate. And to me, I've heard Warren Buffett say that too, that'll pay the best dividends, right? It's just knowledge. And so you talked about that. So thanks everybody for joining this episode. Thanks for listening live. Those who were in those questions, they were awesome. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Okay, see you guys. Thanks for having me.